The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Gracious God, illuminate our hearts and minds with all your wisdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Welcome is one of the trendiest terms in the Episcopal Church right now. It is right up there in popularity with the words radical and sustainable, which I'm sure you've come across more than once in the past few years. It is for a good reason, however, that welcome and hospitality are such popular themes, as these are some of the new core virtues of the church in the contemporary world. And it is passages like today's gospel that give this new emphasis its scriptural warrant. We are called by Jesus to invite and accept everyone without exception. (laughs) But one thing I've noticed is that every time Jesus talks about welcome, he also talks about judgment. Even today, he speaks about the reward due to those who welcome, and presumably the reward absent from those who fail to welcome others. This leaves us with the novel situation of having a text that regularly argues for both inclusion and for judgment. One moment we are called to welcome whoever will have us, and then we are reminded of the judgment waiting for those persons who fail to welcome us. There is much to be said in the positive for the inclusion of all persons. Is it possible to say the same thing for judgment? I think there is. But this has to be carefully worded. There is always a place for judgment of a certain sort. And this proper sort of judgment determines whether things to be done are right or wrong or somewhere in between. There is no place, on the other hand, for our judgment to cross over to determining the eternal resting place of others. This is Christ's work and not ours. Even more importantly, Christ's judgment is often reserved especially for those who judge others beyond their role. In a letter by one of my favorite theologians, the 5th century mystic Dionysius, he recounts a story told to him by a priest. This priest had gone to bed upset because earlier that day, two recently baptized young men had been arrested for stealing. At first, the priest had tried to be understanding, but the more he thought about it, the more he grew enraged at their behavior. He found he could not sleep because he was so angry. He stood up and asked God that these impious persons be punished and struck down with a lightning bolt. Immediately, the priest had a vision of heaven. And looking up, he saw Christ sitting on the throne, surrounded by angels. 
He looked down, and there he saw the two men, teetering on the edge of the pit, trying in every way they could to get free. He began to cheer for them to fall. And demons came and grabbed at the men, and snakes wound around their feet to pull them in. The priest did all he could to reach out and to push them, to help the demons, but still they would not fall. Frustrated, he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus descending. Here, he thought, comes their judgment. Here comes Jesus to push them that last inch into hell. But instead, Christ came and took the two men by the arms and carried them from the pit. As Jesus moved past him, he spoke to the priest and said, So your hand is raised up, and now I am the one you must push into the pit. Here I am, ready once again to suffer for the salvation of man, and I would endure all that pain once more if I could keep humans from sin. Look at yourself. Perhaps you should be living in the pit with all those who wish to send men to hell. Judgment matters. The priest in this letter is not wrong for feeling disappointed about the two sinful men. He is not wrong for judging their actions to be in error. His own failure, however, his own sin stems from what follows. Instead of calling them to remain in communion with Christ in the church, he wants them out, sent directly to eternal punishment. Which sin is greater? To be the one who sins, or to be the one who wishes to push sinners into hell? There is one further point about judgment. Even beyond restricting our own conclusions about the eternal destination of others, the proper purview of judgment is primarily our own actions. As we read through the baptismal covenant today, we are called to account for our own actions repeatedly. Do you, it says, and our answer over and over, I will, with God's help. In baptism, we are knit together and become a part of one community. But our jurisdiction and our primary concern remains with our own actions and activities. So how do welcome and judgment fit together then? Welcome is the principle that brings us together in church. When we gather together on Sunday morning, the principle of our gathering is inclusion. Our challenge is to welcome as many people as possible in the name of the saints, the disciples, the name of Christ, the name of the Trinity. Still, we must judge at times. To live a Christian life is to judge for ourselves what path we should take. And this is a matter of conscience and of right judgment. But the work of our conscience should find itself called to the work of welcome. Our mandate is clear. We are called to welcome all who welcome us. The question is not whether we agree with each other or believe the same thing. These differences should never be enough to prevent us from coming together. 
The core of our life as a church is the Eucharist. And at this table, we are united together. One Lord, one baptism, one body. Amen.